Jack LeBron. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. We are joined today by a man who's on the spot in Adelaide and very important part of the history of uh, supercars and the history of that great race in that city, Adrian Mussolino, to talk about the um, end of the Adelaide 500 as the editor of Supercars Extra knows a lot more intrinsically about it because of his backgrounding of a book that he's put into the history of not only the supercars track and race, but also the Grand Prix that was there since 1985. Adrian, welcome on board. Thanks for having me. It's been a, an amazing week. I can only imagine to be in Adelaide at this time when, uh, I don't know whether it's a half, a third, a quarter, you can give us the sort of some sort of idea that part of the city in mourning and part of it rejoicing um, because there are two quite different factions in this group, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really goes to the heart of why this decision was made. It seemed to have become an increasingly polarised event. You've got the sort of motorsport fans and, you know, the legacy that goes back to the Grand Prix in 85 that sort of, you know, want this event to continue, want the tradition of the Adelaide Street Circuit to continue. But then you have this other side where, you know, the, the event maybe has been on the nose a bit. It's been competing against other you know, local events and it's increasingly seemed to feel like it was a bit of sort of the odd one out in terms of those major events. And um, so it's it's very much a polarising topic. And I guess that's why it's sort of interesting where things are positioned at the moment, because it seems like it's going to be a red hot topic uh, moving forward in local politics here. It's one of the things that's been increasingly uh, prevalent is the jam that happens in February, March around events in Adelaide. I mean, Adelaide has a long history of uh, art festivals uh, and there's now this thing called WOMAD um, where uh, a large amount of the city is devoted to a cultural side, shall we say, and one that doesn't involve tyres or or fuel. Um, So (coughs) that's another aspect of this polarising, isn't it, That, that there are almost these two groups fighting for centre stage. Absolutely. And, you know, they increasingly became um, competitors, if you like, because, you know, they were literally on the same weekend or the arts festival went for a month, but um, Adelaide 500 would fall smack bang within the middle of that. And, you know, given the geography of Adelaide, both were city-based events right in the sort of east end of of town. And, you know, it was hard to avoid the other. And, the problem increasingly became that, you know, as the LA 500 came under the running of the government, essentially through the Tourism Commission, it went head to head with another sort of government-backed event. And it's difficult for one to compete with the other when you need that sort of non-motorsport fan. You need to be able to attract them with things like concerts and, you know, family-friendly, kid-friendly attractions. So, um, I think, you know, that's really at the heart of the matter is it, it was sort of there were enough warning signs over the years that it wasn't really compatible despite what the government was saying. And, you know, this decision really um, 
goes against the argument that they, you know, said that it didn't really matter. Well, I think, you know, one outgrew the other. It's fascinating that we would have a situation where the government in their statement about why they're not going on, i.e. the uh, reduction of interest in motorsport, is countered by the fact that they had some very interesting numbers in an infographic which said it brought 45 plus million dollars to the economy over those four days. It, it seems hard to reconcile the two because I think there was 12 KPIs in that infographic which had shown the 2020 event, even with the bushfires and uh, and everything going on, that people were probably reluctant to travel, had 12 KPIs that had gone up over 2019. Yeah, that, that's what's puzzling and it sort of goes against the government's own argument that this event wasn't working when clearly it was. You know, the crowd figure was on the decline and there were various reasons for that. But, you know, what, what's fascinating here is the government arguing the case that the sort of, you know, the attraction to have a big motorsport event was on the decline when itself it's in itself was running it and basically not really catering for a non-motorsport audience so therefore it became a bit difficult for them to sort of argue that you know it wasn't attracting the crowds that they wanted or you know the growth that they you know could secure the long-term future of the event when really it was under their own you know jurisdiction if you like and um that's what you know makes a, a sort of odd decision and it's you know under the cloud of COVID-19 and uncertainty around crowds moving forward it seemed like it was a convenient excuse to uh, bin the contract at this very time. Yet supercars were talking about perhaps even making it the grand final of the series which would have given more time and certainly more ability for crowds to be included in the event. So it's it seems like one of the organisations that was completely blindfolded was Supercars, who uh, in reports I've had from there is they found out almost uh, moments before it was announced on television. Yeah, and that's really the puzzling thing is that the government didn't give the opportunity to have this reset at this new date at the end of the season in October, November, because if you look at the factors for why the event was in decline as the season opened in February, March, a lot of that would have been addressed with that move. You would have moved it away from the arts festivals. It would have been the big show in town. It would have had the clean air that it needs. It would have been able to attract a bigger audience because it wasn't competing against something else. Um, it, you know, the weather sort of would have been, you know, probably a bit cooler um, than in that February-March period. The season ending date, you know, has that sort of Grand Prix link, you know, as that was the season finale for Formula One. There was so much going for it, for it. So given that that was on the table, it's a bit of a cop-out to pull the plug when you haven't tried this reset, given, you know, the government essentially created this environment where the event was struggling because of its place and time. And, you know, here's a genuine, you know, alternative that looks so good and it, it wasn't taken up and, um, we know, you know, Newcastle's in doubt as well, which freed up that season-ending spot. So it's, um, it's you know, unfortunate for supercars because it really would have made the perfect season finale. Let's cast our minds back, in fact, to that moment when uh, 
the Grand Prix started back in the uh, early 80s. And, of course, uh, you know, it called around it for four years until uh, uh, Eccleston uh, that fateful day said to Bannon, yes, let's go ahead. Tell us about that background to how the Grand Prix actually got to Adelaide. Well, it was um, it was really – it surprised a lot of people because, you know, the, the talk of getting Formula One and the World Championship Grand Prix really centred around Melbourne, uh, Porter Park or Sandout, and this supposed street circuit in Sydney, which never materialised. And, and Adelaide comes along with this idea to celebrate its um, sequentry anniversary and then it sort of was – planning to have a race for just 1986 and then you know it sort of steamrolled and at the time formula one was looking to expand its horizons beyond europe and it just all the pieces fell in and um you know it was moved forward to 85 and it was a hit right away and um but in fact if you look at this decision now you can almost see the you know, some of the difficulties even back then, you know, part of the condition for using the parklands was that there would be no permanent facility or permanent structure built. And, you know, that was an ongoing issue ever since and including for that late 500 because that just increases the build cost every year. So you can see why it's harder to justify when you don't have that permanent facility like Albert Park does where it can sort of, you know, roll in and refurbish the building that's there. Adelaide has to build from scratch and, you know, um, take it all down again within the space of a few months. It, it's It was that challenge that was there from day one and it um, makes it harder for governments to justify when there's that extra spend and build. Well, it's in fact interesting because both uh, uh, Albert Park and Townsville have a similar structure, um, a multi-purpose building that in both cases is used for sports, and that being ball sports, I think, uh, in both cases, basketball, netball, that type of thing. Um, and that's the very thing, possibly, that did hinder it. I mean, if there'd been something there permanent, probably the, the uh, Adelaide uh, residents may have been objected to building something like that, but that might have been something that got it over the line. More. Looking back, as you've done, Adrian, it, it's a fascinating history because there's an enormous amount of money that has been ploughed into uh, Adelaide and invested mm. very wisely by an awful lot of both business and free enterprise. Um, you know, I'm thinking in terms of the restaurants and hotels, motor, all the things, the infrastructure that's needed when a big game comes to town, whether that be F1 or supercars. You must have uh, found that interesting to go and, and dig it all out for your book. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look back at um, when Adelaide lost the Grand Prix in 95, the government sort of, you know, went on this aggressive strategy to say, well, okay, we've got to replace it with something and we probably can't replace it with an event of the same size or magnitude. So what they decided to do was invest in a lot of different sort of smaller events. And that's where you know, the Adelaide 500, for example, came along four years later. So it's um, the, the question now is what comes next and you know there's talk of formula e and and that's you know been in the in the pipeline for a while but you know it remains to be seen so it, it really is you know it really is the genuine prospect that this is could be the end for the Adelaide street circuit as we know it so it's definitely going to have an effect on not just south australian motorsport but australian motorsport because it takes away one of the big marquee events for supercars 
it, it does indeed. And in fact, it, it just kills the start of a season not having that big marquee event, um, marquee in both uh, terms of the words. Um, it was an amazing kickoff to have. And I'd been to many, many races there that were not only great races, but great events, whether it was the rock group that made it or whatever else. The, the other thing that I find really fascinating is the politics of it. In that mm. it took John Bannon and the Labor Party to get this thing happening in the first place. And it was decisiveness by that Labor Party. And, you know, many people would say, oh, that's typical Labor Party just taking a risk on something and it might work or might not. But they got it going there back some, you know, 25 uh, or so years ago, 35 years ago. Yeah. And now it's interesting that the Labor Party has now put up its hand and said, if you want the race back here again, you're going to have to vote us in in March 22. <laughs> that's yeah, that, fascinating that- to me. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, I sort of touched on earlier that this sets up this really interesting debate in terms of local politics here because it it is going to become a red hot topic at the next election in 2022 as to, you know, Labor promises that if they get in power they'll reinstate and they've signed a memorandum of understanding with supercars to do that, whereas you know the Liberals currently in power, you know, have no interest. So it's um. You know, it's. I, I wonder, you know, how realistic that is, given that it's very hard for these events once they've stopped and contracts have come to an end, and you lose that momentum. And not only that, but the infrastructure is, you know, likely to be sold off. It becomes very difficult to then restart and rebuild once again. So, um, it's in. You know, it's set up this interesting political divide because it's under. It's, you know, this is the third event on the Adelaide Street Circuit that's sort of, you know, fallen under the axe under a Liberal government. And um, so it's it's caused a sort of, you know, big political debate here in Adelaide, that's for sure. Now, the other aspect of, of this is what was set up back in 1985 um, and through that year. And, of course, it was the final round of the Formula One Championship and there were some great end races over the years in Adelaide. But that fascinating thing where, um, and I've had the privilege of looking in, in Bob Jane's filing cabinet some years ago and seeing that letter where John Bannon asked Bob Jane to put a proposal in to organise the race. Now, thank crikey that he, he, he didn't accept it and <laughs> thank crikey that he didn't take it on because as we both know, and you, you would have documented so much of in your book that South Australia and the South Australian Motorsport Board taught Formula One how to do Formula One because before that, it was like Amateurville. I mean, the way in which Formula One is run and was run there was fantastic and it, it, it just it taught the rest of the world how to do it and I'm sure you've covered that in detail, haven't you? Absolutely. I think that the great success of the Grand Prix in Adelaide and also the Adelaide 500 was how it was run. And essentially how it was run was, you know, it was government backed, obviously, given that the government played such an important role to get these events. But how it operated was a motorsport board was created and set up and basically they ran the event on behalf of the government. And how they operated was they would employ, you know, um, the 
sort of put on the board uh, people who specialize in different areas, be it marketing, engineering, uh, construction, uh, you know, PR, all these different elements. And they would basically run the run the event, work with contractors and, you know, build the track and et cetera, et cetera. So what you developed over the years of the Grand Prix is this expertise of, you know, people of what you need and how to run the event and what needs to be done and basically motorsport people, you know, with backgrounds in their particular fields. And so when the LA 500 comes along, they sort of implement a very similar board structure. They often grab the same people and you see a lot of the same names reappear in the history of the LA 500 as, you know, they were involved in the Grand Prix. But then in 2015, the government abolished that board and bought the running of the 500 within its own sort of tourism commission. And really, you can pinpoint the decline of the event with that decision. I was fascinated on uh, the following morning after the announcement, I listened to SEN in South Australia. And um, it was interesting to hear the uh, commentators there speaking about two things. One, oh, could we get horse racing back to Victoria Park if the car racing's not there, which is an interesting statement in and of itself. But Mm. then a conversation around the Victoria Park grandstand, which I believe is heritage listed, and the plans that were there to have a new grandstand that potentially could have serviced the horse racing industry and the supercar event, which then would work, as Tony was saying, to have a a 365-day uh, permanent facility in the park that could have benefited the, the city as a whole. Yeah, and, and that was on the cards for a while. You know, throughout the history of the Adelaide 500, that was discussed and proposed. And uh, you know, the longer the event went on, the more it seemed to make sense that you'd build a permanent structure. The, the problem is, well, not necessarily the problem, but the the controversy around the parklands is that they're considered pretty sacrosanct in Adelaide. You, you tend not to build on them or sort of infringe on them given how important they are to the city's landscape. So th- that was always going to run into problems. And really, again, that sort of is at the heart of why this event or this track becomes this political sort of, you know, controversy is that, Without that permanent structure, you add to the cost, you add to the the sort of, you know, the turnaround that you've got to build. It's, you know, like a three-month lead-in and then a three-month sort of, you know, post-event, you know, take it all down and then start again in six months again. So it, it's very difficult to justify without that as the years went on. And, again, that dates back to, you know, that was one of the conditions back in 84 of, you know, if you're going to have this event and if you're going to use the parklands, you're not to build a permanent structure. And if you visit Adelaide away from event race time, there's literally nothing there but the road. And, um, it, you know, it's amazing when you think about it, when you're there at the event, you see the grandstands and the pit building, none of that's there. So it becomes a very difficult um you know, cost every year. And, you know, if the government doesn't have faith that the event can recoup that, then, you know, they've obviously seen fit to pull the plug. Mm. Now, Adrian, as Tony's mentioned, you have a book coming out very soon, but on sale at the moment are some uh, great calendars for 2021. Yeah, we've got some uh, great uh, images that we've put together for a calendar, wall calendar for 2021. And the 
money raised from that goes towards the production of the book. Um, it sort of, um, like most things in 2021, it sort of had to it hit pause as sort of, you know, things went into lockdown and um, some of the services that were needed came to a stop, but we're still working away. And, um, yeah, it will tell the history of the Adelaide Grand Prix, which um, is, I guess, even more relevant now given that we're approaching the end of the Adelaide 500. If there are moves out there to try and save the Adelaide 500, is there any chance that the government could move its position through the weight of uh, what has been said by uh, people in South Australia? Or is the only hope of the Adelaide 500 based around the uh, change of government? It seems like the only hope is with that change of government. Um, it seems like the Liberal Party has sort of put their foot down and, you know, have you know, said that basically it's not on the cards anymore. They're going to diversify that investment and look to other events and, you know, other ways to boost the local um, tourism industry. The problem, I think, with this, you know, proposal from Labor is, you know, the election is until March 2022 and what happens in the meantime because, you know, all the contracts to build the circuit and, you know, the running of the event, that all comes to a stop. Why the event could work is that you know the the event promoters you know owned all the infrastructure around that the grandstands the canopies the pit building if that's all sold off in the meantime then it's going to be very difficult for the labor government that comes in to basically restart and redo it all over again in what we know will be tough economic conditions um so you know there's you know, the Labor Party's, you know, signed that memorandum of understanding, but I'm guessing within that there'll be some clauses that it needs to be financially, you know, justified. And I just wonder that, you know, without the infrastructure in place, whether that's possible. Adrian, it's been terrific uh, joining us. Um, I, I'm reflecting back. I mean, I was there for the first one in 99 and it had a major impact on me and what I used to publish in Race Facts, uh, which is a longer story I won't go into now. But one of the things I so vividly remember and it harks back to an expression that I I uh, sort of wrote when I was about 12 or 13 or something rather like that. And I remember standing in pit lane or in the front of the, one of the garages when we were there in 99 and looking down on the concrete in, in the garage and seeing the McLaren name and seeing the Williams name and, and, and all the race teams there, their names on the concrete, still there from when the Grand Prix had left some four or five years. And I, the expression is, only the marks where they've been. Yeah, well, <laughs> there it um, was. We were in a supercar. It's funny you say that because 25 years later, there's still some of those are still visible in the concrete there. If you go to Victoria Park and you stand where the pit building usually stands and the slab of concrete, you can still make out some of the old football and team logos on the on the ground. And I think I actually took some of those for the Adelaide Grand Prix social media pages. So, uh, you know, 25 years later, there's still evidence that there was a Grand Prix there, um, aside from the track and. There's an Ed Center Memorial there. There's not much else, really, which is a, a shame. And it probably says a lot about Adelaide and its um, relationship with that event. Indeed. Uh, I've been writing about supercars and editing uh, the magazine that uh, you're going to have to travel for the opening round in 2021. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And obviously, we all expect to be at Bathurst for the first round, which is going to be very interesting. 
different in itself. Obviously, we haven't had a sprint round at Bathurst since '96, uh, so um, that's different in itself, and it just sort of continues on the theme of how different things are at the moment. And you know, with Adelaide gone and Newcastle in doubt, and you know, we are potentially looking at really only um, Townsville and Gold Coast as the sort of you know street circuits as we know them. Obviously, Bathurst is, but it's you know, we don't really consider it a street circuit. But um, yeah, it's going to be a very different calendar, and it's a case of for supercars how they reset, you know, how they get some faith back from governments to get some momentum going because this is a big concern other governments you know will look to Adelaide and see well, why didn't it work there when it had all this history and you know crowds and prestige you know it's a bit of a concern when they look and ask the question why it didn't work. Indeed Adrian well thank you so much for joining us and giving us that background on this of the Adelaide 500. Adrian Mussolino editor of Supercars Extras for joining us we thank you enormously and look forward to catching up with your racetrack somewhere near us all. Thank you. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.